Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There are things a five-year-old gets to decide and things they don't. Your responsibility to decide that one, no matter what it was. Like, okay, let your kids wear what they want to school. But if it's about getting a vaccination or getting, you know, a haircut or whatever it is, there's just some things that you just have to be a parent about. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming Today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. Today with mom-daughter duo Liesl Ulrich Verderber and her mother, Dr. Linda Ulrich, um, about living together after many years and managing the work-from-home dynamic between millennials and boomers. Thanks for joining us, ladies. Thank Hello. you for having us. <laughs> so, Linda, I wanted to begin with you. Um, did you ever ex- expect to have your grown child living with you again? No, and I didn't expect to have my three grown children and their their uh, significant others living uh, with us. But these are the times, right? Oh my goodness! So you went from basically being an empty nest to having yeah. six adults living with you. Is that six yeah. adults that you have to cook and clean for? Yeah, you know, it hasn't turned out that way. That's what I thought. But everybody's been able to like stay on their own mission. Everybody helps. It it could have been a nightmare. And it has been an amazing bit of a journey. Not that we didn't have our hit, hiccups, that's for sure. But um, oh, I, I, I've never felt a day like I had to to do extra. Everybody pitches in. That's the way people do in, in these times, right? It's actually a trend that we're seeing. Um, where I live in the neighborhood, so, so many of the grown children, because they were living in the city, moved back to the suburbs with their parents' the houses they grew up in, their, you know, their old bedrooms. And they've been there for six months now. So there's this dynamic that has has really changed in the familial structure. Liesl, what's it like living with mom again? Well, I think it's actually, it's been quite fun. Um, I think that for most people, it would be an odd transition. um, But our family has been relatively close my entire life. And so my siblings and I are really close and my parents and I. And so it was a fun uh, sort of uh, practice and like all living together as adults, you know, and seeing each other, not in the parent child dynamic, but being able to all of us be like a fun group of people, friends almost together at home. So it's been a really fun stepping stone for myself and my siblings and and their partners as well. What, um, what have you taught mom? Have you made her more cool? Um, I don't know that we've taught her much. She's actually like pretty (laughs) up on things. Um, and I'm the kind of person who just discovered TikTok. So like, I can't say that I'm the most hip person to anything, but uh, she's definitely been like learning a lot about, you know, certainly my siblings were a little younger than me, uh, learning about their, their youth culture here and there. And um, Linda, tell me about your book. Happiness is an option thriving and surviving in the era of the internet. Um, When did you publish that? That published on September 1st. 
Okay, so was it inspired by anything that's happening with our new reality? Oh, absolutely. I was actually working on another book, which I hope to publish before the end of the year, called The Conspiracy of Goodness. And um, I was in a, through ever-widening circles, I talked to thought leaders all over the world quite regularly. And one of them who's known me for a long time, I was talking to in in April, (laughs) and he said, as things got really bad, he said, Dr. Linda, you've been talking about goodness for years. Don't you have something to say about this? (laughs) And... um, so I switched gears. I just said, yeah, you know, I, I think the world needs a how-to manual now. And so I, I, I left, I put the conspiracy on goodness on hold. And I went on a, a journey to teach people what I learned going from ordinary web user in 2013 to global web publisher in seven intense years. Okay. So I think I need more explanation. So I think I'm an ordinary web user. Yeah. What, what, what type of web, web user are you? Well, now we have all kinds of platforms. We have like a constellation of ever-widening circles platforms that are all about um, celebrating the goodness that's still in that's in the world. It is still an amazing world. And our job from the very beginning, we saw as to remind people that we need to change the negative dialogue about our times. There, the internet is just such a, a small slice of reality, but because it has such a big part of our life now. Um, we're 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 conflating what's going on there with um with how the world is and really there is an enormous wave of progress and goodness going on in the world that almost no one knows about what does that exactly mean though i mean when you say um the internet isn't reality i'm just thinking of all the pretty pictures on instagram is that what you mean or is it something further? okay let me let me rewind just a bit because this is really really key so the internet, um, of course, was not invented by evil geniuses that meant us to be where we're at today. Um, in 1993, there were only 140 websites, and their and their whole goal, these engineers were running into work every day, excited to be able to connect us all and get us information in a better way. And by 2003, there were 40 million websites. And so what happened was that an organizing principle had to emerge in all that, that chaos, and it became attention. You know, have you ever scratched your head and said, how does this website make money? Well, it turns out that the internet is an attention economy. And I had no idea, and I don't think most of us, maybe we, we tend, to, tend to dabble in those kind of thoughts, um, but I had no idea before I became a web publisher how critical the internet functioned, and really it only functions on our attention. So what we give our attention to, we get more of. And it's just as simple as that. So um, that's, and, and someone is counting every click we make. And that's what rises to the top, what we give our attention to. And that sounds like more doom and gloom, but actually <laughs> it's the most, most empowering thing I've learned on this, this journey to, the, uh, to be a, a, a um, very, very well-versed in the internet is that we can yeah. have all the power on the internet if we realize how important every click we make is. It's like a vote. But how do you, so how exactly do you do that? I'm thinking, you know, when I go to The Gap, for instance, the first thing my Google search shows is the ad Mm -hmm. for The Gap. Mm -hmm. And then The Gap's real website. Do I just click on The the Gap website specifically? Mm -hmm. What do you do with the knowledge that you have? 
Okay. So, um, so if you go with to the internet with intention, just like you described, then you're probably going to get just what you need from the internet. But if you go to the, the internet without intention, it's going to serve you uh, all kinds of things that you may or may not want. And all these things pop up, mean, mean posts on, uh, on social media or, um, or crazy headlines or clickbait photos. All this stuff gets we are bombarded by. And yeah. all you have to do is stop before you click on stuff out of curiosity or anger or boredom. Just stop, just pause and say, do we need more of this? And the way the internet works, if you ignore more, that your algorithms will learn to send you different things. And if you are very judicious about what you click on, that they're positive things and signs of progress and goodness, then the algorithms will bend in that direction. And moreover... Can you give me an example of how you've bent the, the algorithms? Yeah, like yeah, what, yeah, absolutely. What you're yeah. shown now that makes you happier? Because yeah. I'm constantly shown... Um, this celebrity looks like this without makeup. <laughs> I know. I am so curious about those things for sure. But I am just so judicious. Lisa can, can vouch for how judicious I am about not giving any attention juice to things we don't need more of that my algorithms really now have, have reined themselves in so that I really see a lot of good stuff that runs to the top. Here's, here's what I mean. So do you remember last fall? I know it sounds like a long time away, but last fall, all we saw on the internet and the news was the rainforest in Brazil. burning. Do you remember that time? It was just a months and months of the rainforest burning. And that crushes me as much as anyone, but I know about Topher White. So Topher White is this amazing innovator who has a solution to saving all the remaining rainforests in the world using old cell phones. And that's the way it works. When I see that the last white rhino died, um, uh, I know about Damien Mander, who's, who's figured out he's an innovator in protecting endangered wildlife. He's figured out that the best game wardens in Africa are single mothers. And I could go on and on and on with these sort of, I can hold one feeling in one hand and know and have the comfort um, of knowing that there is this whole other world that we're not hearing about on the internet. Okay. So for more on that whole other world and to talk with Liesl again, I'm going to ask you both to hang on. We're going to have more momming right after this. We're back on We're Momming Today with the mom-daughter duo of Liesl and Linda. And Liesl, <laughs> are you currently working or are you a student? Because I know you and your siblings and their significant others are all living with mom right now. Are you um, in school or, or actively working? No, I'm actively working. I've been actively working on ever widening circles since I graduated from Harvard in 2015. Um, and it's not something I ever thought I would do, but here we are working on it. You know, what is this five, six years later? Uh, so no, I've been working full time on ever widening circles. And my job is really to help facilitate growing us as a media company, getting us into education, getting us into healthcare, and really expanding our our position to be helpful to people and bring positive media wherever it's necessary. So what you do kind of intersects with what your mom writes about. Yes, exactly. So um, we like to say that sort of uh, she is the the big thinker on the team and I'm the one at the sort of 10,000 foot look. It's, it's, a, it's not the glamorous job for sure. Um, yeah. 
but uh, sort of the one that makes the the nuts and bolts happen. And she's coming constantly to our team with these these great ideas. And then my job and my team's job is to really facilitate her as a thought leader and as um, you know these these concepts that she's bringing together in the book, because we all work together and these thought leaders that she's speaking with, we get to all speak with um, as a team. And so our job is to every article we write, we get to meet a new thought leader. So it's this lovely journey of writing about the great things in the world in becoming a relationship-based media company, which I don't know is always something that happens um, Mm -hmm. and really connecting Linda to the thought leaders. She's constantly making new connections and sort of bringing that all together in the ecosystem of ever widening circles. Has the way that you worked, I mean, she's your mom after all, and now you're living with her, but has the dynamic changed because everyone's at home now? Yeah, I think that this is an interesting question. And one of the things I've noticed about being able to work with a parent is they don't stop, you know, we already have a very good relationship. And so they don't stop being your parent. And so we can have these big, difficult conversations about the business and direction, all these things, which, you know, if we were two business partners who are just friends, we may have interacted differently, but because we have this strong level of trust with one another, we can make big business decisions and these big leaps, I think in a way that leaves both of our dignities preserved. We know that we're talking about the business and not about each other when we have to have big conversations. And I think that's a really great thing. If you, if you can't work with your mother, um, find a business partner that you can have that kind of relationship with, because it's a really great, wonderful thing to have as a business partner. Are you stressed, though, working from home? There was a study just released from the MarTech Group, and it says a third of people working from home hate it. They are stressed by it. They find they're more inattentive and less productive in the end. And I I know when the remote work trend started, corporate America said, okay, you know what? We can trust our workers to work from home and be productive and be successful. But now, six months in, a lot of those workers are saying, yeah, this is not for me. Where do you weigh in on that? So I'm really privileged. Um, I don't have kids. I don't have a family. Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously I have family, but I, I don't have kids weighing on my mind. I have a business that I run so I can be very flexible with my hours. Um, you know, we do the traditional nine to five thing, but you know, you can bump things around if you need to. So I'm, I'm very pri- privileged in my understanding of how working from home is a luxury. I really do appreciate it. Um, to me, it's really wonderful to be able to not make that commute, to be able to spend more time on self-care and spend more time on doing things that I like to do. Um, So I fall in the camp of, I really appreciate the work from home environment. Um, But I understand that that is very difficult when you've got kids or a more complex lifestyle than I do. Um, the, The main thing that I find is that it is a little bit harder to turn off at the end of the day. And that's something that I'm really consciously having to make myself do. And Linda, you're a dentist um, yeah. by education. Is that what you, do you still practiced? Practice well, things have gotten really, really busy since the book, but I still, I still practice two days a week. Okay. So is that, is that back to normal or where does it stand right now? I took my kids to the dentist um, recently and I have to say it went, it went better than I thought. We, yeah. you know, there, there were rules, everyone was wearing masks, but I've been on some appointments where they're so strict when you walk into the room, like this was a little bit more relaxed. Well, I'll tell you why dentistry is more relaxed. People don't realize that we've been preventing everybody from getting things like tuberculosis and AIDS and uh, SARS. And most, most dental offices have practiced exactly the same kind of standards that everyone else is having to raise their game to right now. Uh, we're just mm-hmm. like surgical centers 
And um, so we're used to the masks and um, now we're, now we're wearing shower curtains, <laughs> the big plastic. Wait, seriously? Yeah. Uh, these, these gowns that we're wearing in our office that we change between patients are like wearing a shower curtain. It's, it's really oh my. exciting for your, <laughs> for your, uh, your folks that have a temperature <laughs> change problem. But um, in any case, what I wanted to say was that, you know, the cool thing about the dental office is that we've discovered we are part of people's trusted circles. And maybe that's what you felt when you were at your dentist office. It just felt great to believe someplace normal uh, maybe they were a little bit more welcoming and everybody's like appreciating each other a little bit more than we start, than we started out. I've seen that in some areas, but not in others. Another, okay. So I took both my kids to get a, a haircut. My mm-hmm. little guy's almost two and a half, but he really doesn't wear a mask. Mm-hmm. My daughter is uh, almost five mm-hmm. and we were the only people in there. And just like the staff was following us around and anything the kids touched, they lysoled and yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. I, get, I get it, but he's going to move because he's mm-hmm. two and she's kind of being cooperative, but they just made me feel so uncomfortable being in there. Yeah. We weren't breaking any rules. We just weren't sitting like statues mm-hmm. in one spot. Yeah. So fear. Um, so back to the, you know, our office has been used to exactly the same kind of high, high, high standards uh, of infection control that we always had. So we don't feel like we're suddenly in harm's way ourselves. And we don't feel like we're suddenly mandated to keep our patients out of harm's way. We always were that. So it's easier for us to be a lot more relaxed and welcoming and focus on the relationship part. But boy, this, 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 um, I would take that your experience there with the haircut as, you know, somebody who's got a lot of rigorous intention could be the other way. And how would you feel, you know? So when I've had those same exact experiences that you, that you described in the hair salon, you know, I'm just trying to look at it like, okay, good on them for, for trying to do every single thing. And nobody's normal and nobody's happy with this. We're all just doing the best we can. So you really are just a positive person. I really am. <laughs> okay. What about when Liesl messed up as a kid or when she was bad? How did you address those issues? Did you say, oh, she's just trying to find out who she is or did you get better? I did not. Most people think I was pretty strict with my kids, but you know, um, luckily I had lovely people ahead of me on down the line. I was 34 when I first had, had my first child. So um, I had lots of people in my practice. I had good um, older parents in my life that gave me lots of good pieces of advice. And um, one of them was, that was this. Um, my pediatrician used to say, look at me if I complained about something that Liesl was doing or one of the other kids, he'd look at me and he'd say, well, there are things a five-year-old gets to decide and things they don't. Your responsibility to decide that one, and what, no matter what it was. Like, okay, let your kids wear what they want to school. That By age three, they can choose that one. But if it's about getting a vaccination or getting, you know, a haircut or whatever it is, there's just some things, washing their hands, that you just have to be a parent about. And we always found that kind of balance of things pretty um Pretty, pretty, pretty well. Uh, Lisa, well. What happens when the balance is skewed more to the kid and you have to reassert your authority somehow, some way? Yeah. So I had a patient that got me really straight on that. I'm telling you, my patients, I will, I will never be able to repay the gifts of insight that my patients have shared with me over the years. But a woman. Well, their mouths are open. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to give back now. That's right. Um, this wonderful woman, she's about 20 old, years older than me, and they were having quite a time with her, their daughter. 
um, they were two um, university professors and their daughter had pretty much no ambition and really had, had, had um, trouble getting through her teens. And one day that poor woman looked at me and she said, Linda, if you give your, two, your children too many choices when they're six, they're going to be giving you choice, choices when they're 16. And she had such fire in her eyes and such um, almost fear that it made me afraid. It made me very, very conscientious about about what I what I what I decided to just leave. You know, to choose your battles. It made me very conscientious about the choosing battles thing. And I think I I went to bat for my kids' future selves more often. I was not as concerned with them being friends as with me as them making better choices. Yeah, you just scared me actually. <laughs> I'm not, I, I will never forget that minute. I can even remember the, the treatment room I was in when she looked at me and said that. There's some things oh that girls get to choose and some they don't. There's some things an 11-year-old gets to choose and some they don't. And it really does behoove us to be judicious about helping our kids learn about the fact that we can't always be happy, um, but we can, we can be grateful for things that come along our way that are going to help us in the future. So back to your home life, um, Weasel, any plans to, to move back out of mom's house anytime soon or your siblings or are you guys staying together for the foreseeable future? Uh, well, my partner, um, he is a PhD student. So when, when COVID happened, he, like every other student, um, was kicked off campus. So he and I will be moving back as soon as uh, their campus opens up. So I, I will be moving out eventually, but it, it has been a really wonderful experience. And like I said, I think I think mom's point was really well taken. There it was like, we weren't always friends when we were, you know, you don't have to be friends with your kids all the time, but there will be a time if you play your cards right, that you can be good friends with them now. And I feel like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel like I'm living with great roommates right now and uh, I'm a little sad to leave the roommates, but you know, we'll have, it's very funny. We'll have, we'll have like dinner with the roommates. Uh-huh. We joke. Um, but yeah, so I, I will be moving out as soon as campuses are open enough for, for me to head out and, uh, mm-hmm. and go do that. And final advice from you, mom, on helping grown children right now, helping millennial grown children who are, we're Gen Zers who are, who are back at home and just trying to figure this all out. You know, I think it comes back to, um, to being conscientious about give and take. You know, <laughs> we won't go into specifics, but I had to give up a, a lot of things about order in my house and how soon the dishes get done and, you know, just we were in our own routines and so were they, right? My son, my poor son, he came home, my son and daughter, the younger ones came home from, uh, from college in March on spring break and never were allowed to go back by their colleges. So there we all were. And they were used to total agency over their lives and they didn't have to pick up their clothes if they didn't want to. And, you know, we had the friction um, that people do, but, but we just all got a lot more flexible. And that's what I think we can all do. I think we're getting a chance to reorganize our priorities and that's good. And the next thing we can do is just stay on our feet as far as being, being resilient and flexible with each other. I like it. Dr. Linda Ulrich and Liesl Ulrich for Derber. Thank you so much for mom and me today. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.